hands in faith, saying, here we are, Lord, to proclaim your love and your grace. And so, Fathers, we take these minutes here to lift up our request. It's the body of Christ. We join in one spirit, Lord, though we're separate physically, Lord. Spiritually, we unite together as one. We ask, Lord, that you would prompt us in our prayers now as we pray for one another. As we pray for our nation. We pray for the leadership of our country, Lord. We ask, God, that you would be merciful and gracious and use these times, Father, in a very special way to draw your people close to your heart and those who have strayed away back to the fold where they belong. And so, Father, hear our prayers now. In Jesus' name. So as is our manner, as you know, we spend a few minutes in prayer following our worship and song to lift our voices. And so let's just take a few moments to do that uh, in the quietness of your living room there, wherever your setting may be, and uh, lift your prayers to the Lord. And then in a few minutes, I'll uh, open up, uh, close that out with, with prayer, and, and we'll open our Bibles and to Luke 24. So let's take this time to pray. Father, I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for those that have made that proclamation of you being Lord. Lord, we ask that you would give each one of us as your children, as part of the family of God, just a a new burst of energy from heaven, Lord. We're not used to what's going on. We're out of sorts in so many ways, Lord. This is just new and different. It doesn't have to be bad. It's just not what we're used to. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would just come to us in your own special way, the unique way in which you speak to each one of us individually, and that you would allow your peace and your joy just to flood our souls as we contemplate what you've done for us, how good you've been to us. We do thank you for the protection. We do thank you for your provision, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you're 
doing in our nation, Lord, that you've directed our president and the leaders, Lord, to take these precautionary measures, Lord, that have been effective thus far. We just ask, Lord, that this would end as in your timing and that we'd use this time of the smashing of our idols and our culture to draw people unto yourself, Lord. You would simply open the hearts and minds of all of us, Lord, that we might receive a, an inspiration and an illumination, Lord, within our souls, the, the greatness of who you are, and turn back and to serve you with all our hearts. Father, we pray for a move of your spirit in our country and in our world, Lord. This thing is far beyond our church, far beyond our our country. It's the whole world that's waiting in expectation, Lord. And Father, now I pray that you've got our attention, that you would speak loud and clear to the hearts and minds of your people. Oh God, we look to you. We have nowhere else to go, Lord. You're our Savior. You're the King. You're the Lord of Lords. And we want you to come now, Lord, and take your rightful place in each, each of our hearts, Lord. We ask, Father, too, that through the power of your Spirit, you would bless your word to us and that through your word, our faith would be strengthened, our lives would be, would be transformed, and we would become all that you intend us to be, to rightly represent you while we live in this body of flesh. So bless your word, bless our day, and truly, Lord, fill us with joy in believing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible there, uh, beside you there, it'd be a good idea to open it and turn to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, the resurrection is a matter of the heart. I have um, sort of been struggling a little bit with the length of this chapter uh, because the whole chapter uh, covers the different heart attitudes that uh, we're prone to uh, in our, our human nature. And to try to cover all five of them uh, in one setting was a little bit overwhelmed without being sort of surfacy. I wanted to break this up into two messages. So this is actually part one. You're going to get two Easter messages. <laughs> There two resurrection messages because I really feel and have felt uh, strongly that this is such an important time uh, in our lives. Uh, matters of the heart. In chapter 24, uh, we have uh, different types of hearts I see here uh, that we're prone to. Uh, verses 1 through 12 there at the tomb, we have a perplexed heart. Uh, verses 13 through 27, we have on the road there a slow heart. And then we have in verses 28 through 34, uh, on the way to the village, as it were, a, a burning heart. And then verses 35 through 43, we have there in the gathering, uh, the apostles, uh, a troubled heart. And then Finally, at the end of the chapter, verses 44 through 49, we have an understanding heart. As they hear the words of Jesus and all the things that they've been questioning and wondering about all synthesize. They all come together and their faith explodes within their hearts and there's a transformation that takes place within their lives. And so I thought it would be best to just cover the first two here this morning. I don't spend a lot of time on the first one because I think that's where we're at as a people. I think that's where we're at as a nation. I think as a world, in one way, we're in a time of perplexity. And so uh, with that, let's read uh, the first 12 verses and, and, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning... And certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about, perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. As you no doubt heard and listened to several Easter messages by now over the course of your Christian faith, you'll know that the resurrection is the basic tenet of the Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, then there's no reason for us to be here. It's the linchpin of our faith. We're simply wasting our time if Christ is not risen from the dead, as Paul put it there in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ is risen. He is not among the dead. He is among the living, and he lives yet today. And so when it comes down to, as I stated earlier, the resurrection from the dead is really a matter of the heart. Do you either believe that Jesus Christ... uh, rose from the dead, or he did not. If it happens to him in regards to the resurrection, then we are assured that it will happen to us as well. And because he lives, we will live also. This is the hope. This is the hope we have in our Christian faith, that because Jesus lives, we shall live also. These were his words, his promises to us, promise of eternal life. So the question for some of you this morning is, where is your heart? What is your deep down conviction about the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again? Do you accept that as a historical fact, or do you pass it off as just mere folly for people who need a crutch, something to lean on? The choice is yours. What is the state of your heart? Do you really believe or not? For some time and some place, you're going to have to make up your mind in regards to this crucial issue. And so I believe that Luke, as he has set up his gospel message for the Gentile mindset, more so, and he is really dealing with what's most important, and that is matters of the heart. These five conditions we'll get through here. Two of them need helping, and and two of them need three of them need helping, and two of them need feeding. We'll see here uh, today and next week, Lord willing. But let's look at the first one here. In the face of death, they go to the tomb. Now, this is a harsh reality. The fact is, Job refers to death as the king of terrors among mankind. There's nothing that people fear more than death, and so they're going. These women, as it were, are going to the tomb to finish what should have been completed a couple days prior. But they were in a rush because it was the day of preparation. They weren't able to really do uh, the burial process to the degree that uh, was necessary. So the women were sort of going back there to uh, finish the job. And as we've read there, uh, it was not at all what they had planned it to be. They were expecting there to be guards. And they were expecting a stone to be there in front of the tomb. And so when they arrived at the destination, nothing as they supposed it would be was present. There were no guards 
The stone had been rolled away, and much to their surprise, there was no body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, out of nowhere, (laughs) two angels appear, and they begin to have a conversation with them. You know, it tells us as they, before this little meeting between the angels and them, they were perplexed. And this is a, an interesting word. Uh, it's in the, used uh, by the gospel writers and other places in uh, the New Testament. Uh, Luke um, 9-7 with Herod concerning John the Baptist. He was perplexed about John's and all these miracles that Jesus was doing because I thought I killed that guy. Well, how can this be happening? So he's a little perplexed about that. Luke twenty one twenty five uses the same word uh, in regards to the end times, situations that would prevail upon the earth, situations in which there would be no way out. And then uh, here in verse 4, and then 2 Corinthians 4, 8, uh, some of the life experiences that we have as believers, we're perplexed. It, it is from diaporio, uh, which is a perio, which a meaning no and perio meaning way. So there's no way. Here's the idea of to be entirely at a loss, to be without a way, uh, situations that um, are filled with uncertainty. And I believe this is really the state of the unbeliever. To those who have not made the decision about the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to those who are still sort of on the fence, maybe you were raised in a Christian church, a Christian family, and you sort of have strayed away and you really, you know, are waiting for whatever reason. Maybe at some point in time you'll decide to, to really check it out, but... You're just there in that state of uncertainty. You don't really know why, what you believe or why you believe what you do believe. You're just there. You know, and I, I think that in this present situation that we're in with this, you know, CV-19 filling our world with uncertainties, it is a time of perplexity. You know, we're wondering, who is this going to affect, you know? Am I still going to have a job in a month? You know, I think people have been pushed to great lengths with this uncertainty. It is truly a time of perplexity. You know, we're waiting here. We, we're anxious. We want to get on with our lives, so to speak. And it's just like someone has hit the pause button and we're just sort of stuck. And, um, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, but it feels like two months. So how long will this go on? We don't know. We're faced with circumstances that are beyond our control. And so we have choices to make. You know, we can choose to fret and worry, uh, or we can choose, as it were, to simply trust the Lord, to put our trust in God. You know, this turmoil, this uncertainty, and this anxiousness that we experience, um, I believe, has a lot to do with control. We want control. We seem to need control uh, over our lives. And then, you know, if you've walked with the Lord um, for any length of time, uh, you know that there's, uh, you begin to realize there's not really much you can control. (laughs) I mean, most of life is uh, that we experience and what's going on around us is out of our control. Uh, We just have a small sphere of, of responsibility and what we can control, and that's what really we should focus upon. And so it comes down to the basics for believers, doesn't it? As it always does. We need to pray. We need to trust God. We need to take him at his word and just embrace the promises that he is in total control. It may look like it's out of control to us, but in reality, the Lord is in control. He's not taken by surprise by anything that's going on in this world, nor will he ever be. He sees it all at once. And I think the Lord is just saying to us and to the world, really, look, I got this. 
don't worry, oh, you of little faith. I, you know, I hear these words ringing in my own ears. So we, I believe we're to surrender our expectations and just rest in what he has told us in his word. We can choose to do what we can with what we have, where we've been placed, or we can fret. The choice is ours. It's best for us to wait in that expectant hope that the Lord's plan and purposes are going to unfold. A month from now, maybe six months from now, we're going to see things a lot differently. We're going to be looking through a, a, a totally different lens than what we are looking through right now. And in the meantime, we just need to, to remain calm and simply cast all our cares upon him because we know that God cares for us. Now, this situation here obviously placed these women in a state of perplexity. They did not expect any of these things when they arrived there at the tomb. Their whole mourning and all their expectation of finishing this burial process were completely turned upside down, much like our plans at the last month or so. Our plans have been totally turned upside down. Of course, I imagine if you had an encounter with an angelic being, that would sort of uh, aid that emotional trauma. <laughs> they, no doubt, and uh, no fault on their part, but they obviously were emotionally overwhelmed by what they had experienced. To, you know, to think for a moment with the incredible sadness and the mourning within their hearts as they made that walk starting out before daybreak and then coming to the tomb, and then all of a sudden, it's not like they anticipated. Wow. And then to realize, after hearing this message from these two fellas from heaven, saying, he's not here, he's risen from the dead. I mean, to go from this incredible sadness to this potential joy unspeakable, that's an amazing extreme of emotion. You know, we're reading this event, you know, some 2,000 years almost uh, from when it actually happened. And so, you know, the emotion of the situation is completely evaporated for us. It, you know, there's nothing there in that regard. We're just simply looking at the facts. I mean, this is what it says. Do we believe it or not? And we're not really emotionally engaged. But if you'll use your imagination and sort of put yourself in the place of those, la those ladies that visited the tomb, I mean, it's a whole different perspective. I think it's important sometimes to sort of embody yourself in the scripture. Put yourself there. How would you have responded to this situation? What would you have felt? And so, so the questions for us this morning is, what do we do with what we see? What do we do with what we do know? What do you see at the tomb? Thoughts about the resurrection, maybe? Thoughts about the will of God? Thoughts about things not moving in your life the way you'd prefer them? What about direction? What do we do? Are you without a way? Has this present life situation, this CV-19, brought tremendous perplexity into your life? You don't see a way out? It's not going to end well for you if it continues like this for any more length of time? What about, why did Jesus really have to die? He was a good man. Look at all the good he did, and they, they murdered him. Maybe you have thoughts about that, thoughts about forgiveness. Maybe you're thinking about eternity. You know, this is one of those things, you know, man doesn't like to think about. Death. What happens after death? Is the grave end our existence? You know, there's a lot of things that you can get worked up about because you don't really know the answers to them. We really shouldn't be perplexed about the resurrection of the dead, though. There are those who believe, unfortunately, that when life is over in, in this world, that that ends our existence, that there's nothing more beyond this world. That would be a grave mistake.
we naturally wonder about eternity, but we don't like to contemplate death because it's not something we enjoy talking about. But the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ unlocks a lot of the mystery. It solves a lot of the unknown for us. It answers these perplexing questions that sometimes dominate our minds. The Sadducees of the day uh, were the liberals. <laughs> they didn't accept many things concerning the supernatural. And this would be the skeptics of our day. They have no respect for the supernatural world. They don't believe in an unseen realm that surrounds us, unfortunately for them. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's probably why they called them Sadducees. They were sad all the time. I don't know for sure, but uh, some have said so. I love the way Jesus handled them, though. He just used basic logic. Mark twelve twenty six says, But concerning the dead that they, ri- that they rise, have you not read the book of Moses in the burning bush? passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Therefore, you are greatly mistaken. Mark twelve twenty six. Sometimes, you know, just simple logic are, are the best way to address the skeptics. You don't have to give them this elongated answer as to why it's true that Jesus rose from the dead. It's just the mere fact that billions of people have had their lives changed and transformed by the risen Christ. In fact, I just talked to him a little bit ago. He's still on the throne. So, you know, it's a big mistake to underestimate the power of God in regards to the raising the dead. You should believe in the resurrection of the dead because it's going to happen. It's going to happen to every person that's ever been born and died. Yes, there's going to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, the believer and the unbeliever. They're not going to happen at the same time, according to the Scriptures, but they are going to happen because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For the believer, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, referred to as the Bema Seat. We're going to be judged not for our sin because that was judged at the cross. We're going to be judged for our works, how we represented God, the motive of our heart, why we did what we did. And so we'll stand before him and we'll receive reward for doing, our th- doing things out of love or doing things out of selfishness. God will judge. The wonderful thing about that, and you, you know, that, that whole thought is, is, is frightful to, to, to realize that we're all going to stand before God and, and our, as believers and our works are going to be right there. And whatever was done out of the flesh... Poof, gone. <laughs> There'll be nothing to reward there. But whatever's done out of love and genuine service unto the Lord will remain as you know, the gold, the silver, and the precious stones will be rewarded accordingly. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The thing about the judgment for the believers, Paul said to the Corinthians, if a man would judge himself, he should not be judged. We have the truth of the scriptures. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in us. If we will take that knowledge and allow introspection to take place, then the Bible says we will probably escape a lot of judgment there. We won't be ashamed at his coming. We will not be ashamed when we appear before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's for the believer. It's not going to be quite the same for those who do not believe. For those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all unsaved people outside of faith will appear at the great white throne judgment. And there they will be judged by their works. And to the degree uh, that they sinned against God is to the degree that they will be punished accordingly. And I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but that's not my place. God does all judging. Is only the word that will judge people in the end time. God will be fair and just in his judgment.
There are a number of things that we can be perplexed about. There are many situations in life that we fail to have answers for. And that's why we need to live our lives by faith. It's required. And as I said, there's many things that we do not know. And I can tell you this, there's a lot of things we don't need to know. We're better off not knowing. We're better off just living with the knowledge that we have that God loves us and that God cares for us and that he's in control. To just simply rest in the truth about our God and how control in control he is. We need, don't need to know everything or understand everything. The God of the Bible, the one whom we serve, has strength beyond measure. He is love without limit. His holiness is beyond comprehension. Truth is the foundation of his being and he can never lie and God would never lie to us. So he can be trusted without hesitation. You do not need to hesitate whether or not you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is who he says he is and who he claimed to be. God come in the flesh. There's no way that we could understand the eternal God without God himself becoming a man and revealing the nature of God to us. This is what Jesus was saying to Philip when they were there in the last meeting that they were together there in the upper room. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, and that, that, like, and that was an answer to Philip's question. Well, hey, you're talking about the Father. Would you show us the Father? You know, he's trying to get a grip on, I want to see God. And Philip, I've been with you for three and a half years, bro. I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Examine Jesus Christ. Study the Gospels. Look how he responded to sinners with grace. Look how he responded to hypocrites with the law. trying to show them that they weren't as righteous as they thought. He condemned self-righteousness. Now, we all think we all all go to heaven because we're, we're not bad people. Well, that's because you're using the standard of man. How about perfection? Have you lived in perfection? I think not. Nobody has, except one. And so God has made it quite, e- quite obvious that we need a Savior. And it's his name is Jesus Christ, and it's in his incarnation that we see the true nature of God revealed to us. Think about it. God, in his righteousness, he rules. All his decisions, and all his goodness that he has, he directs through his unfathomable wisdom. God cannot make a mistake. Love can never fail. What's not to like about God? He's just awesome. He's beautiful. And so what are we worried about? We fuss. We stress. Myself included. We get so caught up. Sometimes we just need to stop. We need to reflect on what has been done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I do not need to live in uncertainty. We do not need to live without a way. God knows the way through the wilderness, and he's quite willing to guide our lives if we'll simply ask him for that guidance. Now, verse 5 says that they were afraid. Now, how many people do you know they're afraid? They're fearful. Well, you don't know how this is going to work out. Yeah, nobody does. What if it doesn't work out? I don't know. What if it doesn't? (laughs) I mean, God's in control here. They were afraid. Well, obviously, the context here is they were afraid because they were in, in the presence of a supernatural being. Well, let me tell you, you are right now. You live in the presence of a supernatural being who is closer than the skin on your body. He loves you. He hears you. He knows your thoughts before you ever think them. That ought to be enough to cause fear 
respect and honor towards him? What did they do in their fears? What we ought to be doing regularly. They bowed down. They put their face in the dirt. This is our rightful place before this awesome creator, God of ours. You know, we simply need to recognize, and they were in the presence of the angels, but I'm speaking of the presence of God that's everywhere. We ought to be in fear. We ought to live in the fear of the Lord. We ought to respect what he has said and that he's going to keep his word. Yet, as we see here, they had forgotten. That's what it tells us there. Verse 8, they had remembered his words. Well, in order to remember them, that means they would have had to have forgotten. You know, ideally, they should have gone there and realized, oh, well, something... Didn't Jesus say that he was going to raise from the dead on the third day? See, he says, Friday, Saturday, this is the third day. Uh, okay, should have been no surprise that the guards were gone, the rock was out of the way, and the body was gone. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. He said he was going to raise from the dead. That didn't happen, though, did it? That should have been, if they were walking by perfect faith, right? Well, that's what he said. Jesus never lied to us before. What are we worried about? They had to be reminded of God's word. That's really the ministry of, of, of pastors, really. We're, not, we're just recycling these sermons that were given way back when, right, written down for us. We're constantly reminding one another of, of the truths that God has given to us. It's amazing how remarkable forgetters we have and how selective our memory is at times, both of which we'd rather not admit to, but nonetheless that's the case we we forget and sometimes our faith we're so saddened and overcome by circumstances of life that when we hear it we think well it's just an idle tale the apostles failed to receive the message from the women because they were so depressed so discouraged thinking jesus had failed how many people have prayed and asked God for things in their life. And it doesn't happen. Their expectation is not met. Therefore, they're angry with God. And then they begin to think the things that they've read about the Bible or things that they've heard about God from the Bible are just simply idle tales. And they're full of unbelief. That is a very, very sad state of existence. The expectations must be laid aside regularly by us. We don't know how God is going to work, but we know that he's going to work. And let's give him space. Let's give him time to work within our lives for him to perform his work. I remember a a sister of ours who, she loves the Lord and, and she's been praying diligently for things to happen and for God to work. You know, you want people in your family to be saved, your relatives all to go to heaven. You want to be, you know, not just part of that eternal family, not just the family here on earth, but forever together. You know, what greater joy could that be than to have all your relatives saved and the ones you know and all. And praying so diligently over all these years, wanting God to save them, and they're not, they don't appear to be saved at this point. And God, please work, you know, and right in the middle of that. She's having this little goal round with the Lord, you know, and we all have those, right? And the Lord said, I am working. Just because we can't see it, just because we're, we don't have knowledge of it, doesn't mean that God isn't at work. We must learn to set aside our expectations. They only lead to frustration, and fear, and really perplexity. Peter I believe, sets us up here for how we should handle some of these things. How do we deal with perplexity in our life? He was touched. He actually heard the message. Maybe initially he thought that, you know, the depression and the state of mind, the, the mourning that was taking place. He didn't set back. He, what does it say there in verse 12? He rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. 
He arose and ran. He checked things out. I mean, he bent forward, looked into the tomb, and then he just marveled. It says a lot. He got up from his stupor. He arose from his depressed state of mourning, and he faced the perplexing situation with some research. He essentially was a determined, okay, this is what they're saying. I'm going to check it out. I mean, I know these ladies, but I'm going to check it out for myself. And see, I believe that's the turning point in his heart, in his mind. You know, we can choose to remain in sadness. We can choose to remain in a state of overwhelming sorrow. Or we can choose to get up, begin to engage our minds and begin to do what we know we should be doing. In this case, Peter decided, uh, I'm going to go check it out. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're outside faith, you've heard this or that about the resurrection of Christ. You've heard this or that. You know, the thing about God is a lot of people believe a lot of lies about God. And there's a reason for that, actually. We have an enemy He does nothing but lie. We refer to him as Satan or the devil. He is the father of lies. He can speak nothing but lies. And so his biggest responsibility from his perspective is to lie as much as possible as he can about God because he wants as many people whom God loves to perish with him. And so that's why you believe certain things about God that are not true. You've been lied to. You owe it to yourself to do some research. Don't take somebody else's opinion. Many of the excuses that people use, oh, the Bible says this. That's, the Bible actually doesn't say some of those things. But they don't know because they've never read it. So how can you possibly reject something that you've never really checked out on your own? You owe it to yourself to go research, check it out. Make up your own mind based on the evidence that you have read. This is what Peter did. He checked it out. He looked at the evidence. And I can guarantee you will experience the same thing that he experienced having checked out the evidence. What does it say? He went away. He marveled. He was in wondrous awe of what had happened. He'd reached a Incredible conclusion. The Bible tells us that later on, the Lord Jesus himself visited Peter. Of all the apostles, he probably was one of the most depressed because he is the one who denied the Lord three times prior to Jesus' death. Of course, he could have just stayed there. Could have just stayed there with the rest of the apostles and just, you know, I hope it works out. I hope it's true. But he didn't do that. He put forth some effort. It's going to take some effort on your part to find out the knowledge and the things that you need to know. So get up. Get out there. Get in here, rather. Get in your Bible and check it out for yourself. And consider it a personal challenge to investigate this historical record that's before us about Christ's resurrection. You see, a perplexed heart needs helping. Peter sought the help he needed by responding to the testimony of others. I hope you respond to the testimonies of your relatives or those who have witnessed to you you about the saving power of Jesus Christ. But you owe it to yourself to find out how much he loves you and cares about you. Verses 13 through 27, we have, and this is the second part. I I wanted, as I told you, I wanted to spend the most part of this morning's message on uh, the perplexity there at the tomb, the perplexed heart. But now here on the road, we have the slow heart, verses 13 through 27, and our comments will be shorter, but still poignant. Verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed 
and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they, him they did not see. And then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I wish I could have been in attendance at that Bible study. Verse 27, but I digress. Notice here what was going on. They're just taking a walk seven miles away, so it's going to take them a while. And they got involved in a conversation with one another. And they're simply just having company with one another. But it was a little bit more than that because uh, reason conveys the idea of intensity. So they... They were disputing. They were actually trying to uh, figure it all out, examine the evidence that was there, and reach some conclusion, simply sorting it out. How could this possibly happen? You know, this was not in their paradigm at all. They believed in their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah. And that when Messiah was going to come, it was going to be an eternal reign. They thought Jesus being Messiah, that he would put down Rome, and he would establish his throne, and he would begin to rule and reign there out of Jerusalem. That was the Messianic hope. But now Jesus is dead. He's been crucified by the authorities. How could this be? And so they're trying to just sort it all out. And when Jesus draws near, I just love this, this whole thing. This is a picture of God. He wants us, he knows we're struggling. He knows we're trying to figure things out. There's that perplexity of life, right? There's, there's things in, in our paradigm, our, our worldview that needs helping. And God, in his great love, just draws near and he just asks questions. You know, that's the thing about the Lord. He asks a lot of questions. And I shouldn't think we should be paying attention to those questions, but I also think we should be paying attention to the answers that we give him because it reveals our hearts. I think it's hard for a lot of people to accept the fact that God is this cordial, that God is this, uh, as it were, conversational and personal. Well, the Bible reveals this to us. If you any student at all of the Bible, you'll see this throughout the scriptures that God is a very personal, intimate God with, with his people, with those who love him. He takes time and he comes to us and he speaks to us. And God is paying attention to our conversations, the conversations that we have with one another. God is always listening. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it sobers me. You know, what am I saying about the Lord? 
You know, like when you're in a group of people or you're in a large group and then someone says your name, you know, all of a sudden your ear gets real big, like, you know, you kind of want to zero in on, what are they saying about me? Something bad? I don't know. (laughs) You know, you just want to know, right? Well, we get that from our Father, right? If you have a Bible, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. I love this verse because it explains really God's character, and thoughts, at least it does to me. Uh, Malachi 3.16. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in that day... When I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. So you get the idea that when we're talking to each other about God, he's listening. And I I just want to encourage you, make sure it's a good thing you're saying. (laughs) For every good thing that you're saying, apparently the Lord's going to write that down in the book. And when you stand before him and when you're there, all the, all the things, that, all the comments that you made about how much you love the Lord and how good the Lord is, and you know, et cetera, you know, that whole line, he's keeping track. And it's just like here, it's like Jesus coming up alongside these guys. He's such a patient listener. How patient are we? Now, this is really grabs me personally. How patient am I when someone's telling a story that I know better than they do about myself. I want, you know, the natural reaction is you just want to, hold on here, let me, let me help you out here. Not so with Jesus. Hmm, what things? <laughs> he just lets them go on. And it's awesome. Well, you know, and this guy just goes through the details. Where you been, man? Like, this wasn't done in a corner, right? I mean, come on. Didn't you see it on the internet? I mean, it was there, you know. No, Jesus just, he knew, he was the guy, he was the victim, you know. (laughs) Patient listener. This is what James tells us to, we're to be, every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Obviously, because the anger of man doesn't bring about God's righteousness. The problem is, James 119 has told us that we are to be swift to hear, but I'm usually swift to speak and slow to hear. I've got that turned around in my life. That's just human nature. But the more we grow and the more we learn to just be well-mannered, as it were, be more loving, we'll be quick to listen. What is that person really saying? And once we really comprehend what they are saying, then we'll be able to speak appropriately. So in this case, it's he's talking to these two guys that had really lost their way. Their paradigm had been totally shattered. What they were expecting from Messiah didn't even come close to materializing. How do you deal with people who've lost their way? Well, good luck with that. <laughs> See ya. You know, I mean, that's the natural, like... You deal with your own baggage, bro. I mean, you know, we just, it's not, who wants to be a counselor, right? God's not that way. He's so kind, so gentle. He knows we can't see the whole thing. We don't get it, the full picture. He's so patient, so kind. So we have a patient listener, and he's being very sensitive. What things? Yeah, please explain yourself. And so that's really kind of what we should do with one another when we see people that are maybe lost their way, they're struggling, is just simply ask questions. Get them to open up a little bit. Tell their stories. Give their perspective on how they see things. And yet, in the end, he just doesn't listen. It isn't just... That's not the end of the story, just to be, you know... A patient listener and a sensitive listener. There's two things about Jesus here that we need to capture before I close here, and I think it's very important that we catch catch them. One, he is a gentle reprover. Notice he says, Oh foolish ones. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that seems kind of harsh. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, to a, a person who really loves God, and then, you, you know, to say, you know, because these guys love the Lord. There's no question about that. There's, no, there's no, nothing in doubt in regards to their relationship with God. They haven't cast off their faith. They just, they're, they're just in a place where they, don't, they can't understand what's going on. And he calls them, oh, foolish one. In fact, only God could say that to them. Let's just say that up front. What is he saying? You senseless ones. It's, you're discussing unintelligent things. And the reason is, is you're slow to believe. So he's a gentle reprover. You know, when I have been corrected and it happen- by the Lord, and it happens regularly, more than I want to admit, I get corrected. But every time I've noticed that when the Lord speaks to my heart to correct me, it is always in a gentle way. And it gets maybe a little more intense if I'm stubborn, but generally I, I tr- listen. And I always have to agree with him. I can't go what... <laughs> I can't come back with some... Lame excuse. It, you know, he's right. And I sort of, that's what I come to in my heart. He's just like, oh, you're right. And that's the way it should be. He's such a, he doesn't cause a person to be defensive. He just says, uh, he's so kind and so loving. The idea here of slow, of heart, they're only capable of moving at this slow speed. They sort of have this sloth approach to to the situation. They're sluggish. How can I, what illustration, you know, would work here? You know, you, it's kind of like a, a slow-moving computer. You can probably relate to that. It's very frustrating. You know, we know that computers these days are made to move at lightning speed, high-capacity uh, uh you know, but what happens? The peripherals come in. They get all this, you know, spam and peripheral junk cluttering up the communications within the system. So, sort of what happens to our minds. We get all this clutter, all this peripheral stuff downloaded into our minds. We listen to things we shouldn't listen to. We see things we shouldn't see with our eyes, hear things we hear with our ears that we shouldn't hear. And we've got all this peripheral junk in there. And the result of that is it slows us down. It sort of hampers our faith. It's hard for us to grasp what God is really saying because we're, we're relating upon this earthly horizontal plane because we're wanting to see it with our eyes and feel it with our senses when that is not the realm in which God is working by and large to speak to us. He speaks to us in the Spirit and through the Spirit. And that's why I need to be spiritually in tune. It's the inner man, my conscience, my inner thoughts that God is working with, not with my five senses, not with what I see with my eyes and all. And so when that part of my being is working and in full operation, I can hear the voice of God. I can understand. And that inner mode only works through faith. If I refuse to exercise faith, that inner mode in which God deals with me and speaks to me will be mute. I'll not hear God's voice. I'll not sense his direction. And so the rebuke is relating to their understanding. And the slow of heart, again, is going deeper. It's going into the spiritual realm. That's why I said and really titled the message, the resurrection is a matter of the heart. The issue has to be settled from within. And it is an issue of faith. Jesus, this wasn't the only time that he reproved the disciples. On these two fellows, we don't know who the other fellow was, but Cleopas got straightened out, and I'm sure this other fellow did too. But later on in Mark 16, 14, he appears to the 11 while they're sitting there at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him. He was holding the apostles 
responsible for the testimony that these women first initially brought to them. For those of you who are outside the faith, God will hold you responsible for rejecting the witness of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have you turned down the witness of others about their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? When they say to you that Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, he was dead but now he lives, and you scoffed, that is the rejection of the message that God wants to give you. It is a message that will bring you life if you receive it. It is a message that will cause you to marvel when you are introduced to the true and living God. You see, Jesus doesn't just reprove, though. And it should be an encouragement to you who maybe have spurned the Lord. Jesus is also a wise instructor. He took the time. He took them through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that they had. Scriptures that they would have been familiar with because they attended church, so to speak, synagogue. And he led them through the scriptures, beginning at Moses, through the prophets. Here's what it says about Messiah. Ought not Christ to have suffered? They spiritualized that. They had expectations. Their paradigm needed to shift. There needed to be a transformation within their lives for them to see and understand. You see, a slow heart needs helping. (laughs) And simply like a computer using a utility program, you can sort of clean that mess up and kind of remove all that peripheral junk. And then you're happy again, right? (laughs) The frustration leaves. The perplexity is gone. Why isn't this thing working right, you know? If we'll use the right utility, the Word of God, pure truth, unadulterated, something I do not have to filter. It is true, and it's always been true, and it will always be true. If I'll use that utility, the Word of God, it'll clean up my device, my heart, my inner man. My spiritual life will start running at top speed. I am most efficient in my life, so to speak, when I am in the Word and allowing it to have its cleansing effect upon my life and my heart. So I want to encourage you this morning. Take time. You should have a lot of time on your hands with CV-19 going on. So while you're quarantined, break out the Bible and dust it off and begin to read it. Allow the Holy Spirit, as you open the Bible, ask God's Spirit to speak to you through His Word. Lord, I want to hear from you. Read the Scriptures. Pray over those Scriptures. And then wait upon the Lord. I would encourage you to actually have maybe a pen and paper or pencil and paper, whatever you feel comfortable with, uh, near your side there. And spend that time with the Lord. You'll be surprised at the things that God will drop in your heart. They'll come into your mind and you think, wow, I remember as a, a very new believer, I had never read the Bible before. I was never raised in church. I didn't really have any baggies to deal with. I, I had no bags, right? Totally clean slate in regards to the Word of God. Never bothered reading it before. I heard a few things because we were raised in a you know, Christian culture at that time, so we heard a few things, but that very, very little. But as I began to read the Bible for the very first time, after I became a Christian and was born again, it was as though when I read the Bible, the words just jumped off the page like, wow, it's truly a living word. But it takes time. It takes effort. You can't just hope it will happen. You got to, kind of like Peter, you need to get up and you need to go and you need to research for your own, on your own. Come to your own conclusions, but allow God to speak to your spirit. Allow your doubts to be starved and feed your faith the truth about who God is. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. When we contemplate what you did in the person of Jesus Christ, It's hard for us to comprehend, Lord, 
that you really love us that much, that you would come and subject yourself to our fallenness, our abuse, to even to the point of crucifying you. But you knew all along, and this was the very purpose of your incarnation. You knew that many would have a, a change of heart, and that we would turn to you, and your plan was flawless. It's worked out perfectly. And we stand here in awe today. And the story never gets old, Lord, to just rehearse in our minds what you did for us. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you so much for raising from the dead. We glorify you. We thank you. We honor you today, Lord. So I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters that as we spend time in your word, Lord, you truly will speak to us. Please do that special work in our hearts and increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord give you grace this week. May his peace just overflow your life. May you just be filled with joy as you walk with the Lord this week. God bless you. Have a great week.